0: rare that I see a video that impacts me as deeply as the one I saw last night. Aaron Bushnell was a Air Force member, active, who self-immolated last night, actually yesterday. And the video has been making the rounds. I wasn't sure how to approach this because it was so, so gruesome and yet so impactful. I felt as if I had no choice but to. So I'm going to do it uh, because it's newsworthy, I think it's very important, and it's heartbreaking ultimately uh, for a multitude of reasons, which I'll get into. Uh, For those that haven't seen it, I am going to play a censored version of it. I apologize in advance Uh, if you, once I press play on it, fast forward about two minutes if you wanna miss it entirely you don't have to hear it or see it to, to imagine how horrific it is. But for those that want to understand, you know, the full depth of it, you, you have the opportunity to do so. Uh, I, I, I plead <laughs> for you to have extreme caution in doing so as it, it absolutely stuck with me and it still sticks with me. Uh, the voice of his screams is, uh, it's unforgettable, truly. And, On his Facebook page, the last thing that he posted was, quote, many of us like to ask ourselves, what would I do if I was alive during slavery or the Jim Crow South or apartheid? What would I do if my country was committing genocide? The answer is you're doing it right now. So that was his perspective. And for those that think that the Israel-Palestine war has nothing to do with the US military, let me start by disabusing you of that notion, Max Blumenthal tweeted out just a few minutes ago saying that there was actually orders that had come down. He says, U.S. Airman Aaron Bushnell did not kill himself to protest some other country's war. The U.S. Department of Defense has compelled the participation of Air Force members like Bushnell in Israel's Gaza genocide. Their orders to deploy to Israel read mandatory. This was November 21st of 2023. So just three months ago, this instruction provides specific guidance for airmen and guardians deploying to Israel. There are in fact troops there and there are in fact documents, uh, reported on by the intercept, Biden admin deployed air force team to Israel to assist with targets, documents suggest. So while they may not be actually in combat, they are in fact participating in this war. Uh, I'll leave the descriptions of genocide, ethnic cleansing, all that aside and you can decide that for yourself. Uh, but it's horrific, whatever you call it, it is absolutely horrific. And there is nothing more horrific than the video that I'm about to play. And again, I, I highly recommend that if you are the type that that is uh, sensitive, even if you're not, <laughs> you may want to consider fast forwarding two minutes. Uh, but for those that that want to see it and want to hear it, uh, I think that it's 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 worth playing. Uh, I really thought about this a lot because I I don't want to come off you know like I'm trying to capitalize off of his his demise his suffering. Uh, I'm not I'm not I'm certainly not trying to. I I think that it's newsworthy though. I think that you know if if someone's willing to sacrifice their their life in such a fashion that it's probably worth their message getting out to the world, whether you agree with the message or not. And we'll, we'll talk about that afterwards. Here we go.
1: It's Aaron Bushnell, I am an active duty member of the United States Air Force, and I will no longer be complicit in genocide. I'm about to engage in an extreme act of protest But compared to what people have been experiencing in Palestine at the hands of their colonizers, it's not extreme at all. This is what our ruling class has decided will be normal.
2: Jesus Christ! Hey, get the fire thing with
1: What is this?
0: Who is this? So there you have it. It's uh, Well, first and foremost, let me start by saying, you know, I don't advocate for violence or self-harm. And it's obviously someone was pushed to the absolute breaking point if they're willing to go to these levels, to these extents. Uh, it obviously is reminiscent to the, the monk in, I believe it was South Vietnam. Who lit himself on fire to protest that conflict at the time, and you know those those moments, well, unbelievably horrifying and heart wrenching, tend to be not just extraordinarily symbolic but also lasting. You know they they stick with people. That video or that photo uh, is still extremely famous, and I think that it it demonstrates a a willingness of self-sacrifice in opposition to war, which is oftentimes the, the side of war that people don't look at. People view war as being a belt about self-sacrifice or sacrificing oneself for their own nation. And there are these rare occasions where someone might sacrifice themselves to protest war. And I have no idea if the the impact of this one will be as long lasting given that our our attention spans seem to have shrunk down to a 10 or 20 second long tiktok i'm sure that his hope was that this would be impactful enough that it might actually start a dialogue about ending this war and i i certainly hope that's the case i have no idea if it will be the reactions have been very split so far with many people that have already espoused their unyielding support for Israel, maintaining that perspective and not relenting one iota. Obviously those that are more on the Palestinian side are using it as propaganda for their own purposes to try and end the war. I'm not trying to use it at all other than to, to discuss basically how it made me feel and the way it made me feel was sad, deeply sad that we have American servicemen, regardless of his mental health or ideological backdrop or whatever his reasoning was, that he was so concerned about participating in this war that he would actually take his own life. And for those that don't know, he did pass away uh, an hour or two afterwards. I, I, in fact, saw an uncensored version of the video and I did watch it stupidly. I probably shouldn't have because it's, I don't think I'll ever forget that one. Um, but he, he continues to, to stand as he, as his body is entirely inflamed or, uh, in flames. It's remarkable. It's remarkable to stand there as, you know, you're dying. I mean, you absolutely know the pain has to be extraordinary, completely immersed in flame. And he screams out free Palestine three or four times through absolute agony. He seems to have inhaled smoke or flame itself and his lungs are starting to go and he kind of staggers and then he lets out one final scream of free Palestine that is that will absolutely last with me. Um, this is a hard one. This is a really hard one to talk about. I don't even know <laughs> what I don't even know what direction to take it. To be honest, um, I guess I'll try and back out of the gruesome nature of it and, and take a more macro approach to, you know, what it means and, and how it felt, but. You know, he he makes it quite clear what his purpose is as he walks up there. You can see his breath is already short. He's already... He's very, very aware of what he's about to do. And the anxiety and anticipation of that act has to be unbelievable. And he's got this little, like, thermos that he's obviously put fuel in. And he dumps it on his head and struggles to to light his lighter and some guard, because this was at the Israeli embassy, some guard says, hey, you need help? You know, what? like what's going on? Checking in on him, seeing if there's anything going on. And he was right, there was. And then he lights himself on fire. I guess more than anything, what I really hope comes from this is that people that have turned away, they've looked away from the horrors of that war and there are horrors on both sides. Don't get it twisted. What regardless of which side you stand with, it's absolutely tragic on both sides, innocent loss of life on both sides. And recently the vast, vast casualties have been on the Palestinian side as they've been driven all, all the way down from Gaza city into Rafah, and the bombing campaigns continue. And there has been tens of thousands of innocents that have perished under horrific circumstances and people are starving and there's concerns about disease and, you know, famine and all sorts of continued loss of life that I don't even know what the totals will be when this is all said and done. But I just hope that if anything, his sacrifice will allow people to remember that there are lives that are being lost every single day dozens hundreds on many occasions innocent people you know good people people that that ought to still be alive and i think oftentimes we forget about you know what the what the nature of war is that oftentimes well we're we're wrapped in our our national flag we think that we're fighting for whatever it is religious freedom or democracy or Whatever whatever the soldiers are told to believe. At the end of the day, oftentimes, if not always, the wars are over geopolitical strategy from politicians that will never see the battlefield themselves. And this is a, a man who very, very likely would have seen a battlefield at some point. I mean, in the Air Force, I guess it's not hand-to-hand combat, but it still, you know, has the potential of loss of your own life or... Certainly, the taking of lives, and he wasn't willing to do so. I always find it fascinating that a like a service member, like someone who enlisted in the U.S. military, would have such a strong feeling about this. Not like just the fact that they wouldn't already know the nature of our empire. The fact that Israel and Palestine or the Palestinian issue is something that would be felt so profoundly that it would get them to be radicalized to this extent. It's really remarkable. You would think that all of the wars, I mean he's a young man, he looks like he's in his 20s, all of the wars throughout his lifetime have been similarly grotesque, perhaps not as egregiously so but certainly similar, and yet you would still enlist. It's just it's it's amazing. And it makes you wonder if, you know, the Palestinian issue has just been so successfully, uh, I don't want to say propagandized because it truly is horrific, but the narrative from the Palestinian side has been pushed through social media so so thoroughly that it has actually impacted people who otherwise were prepared to go and fight for America, regardless of the orders that they receive, and that they would now reflect on what they're participating in to the, to the extent that they would do something like this. I would imagine that he's a one-off. I I would imagine that there's very few in the in the military that would support his sentiment but and certainly very few that would actually carry out such an extreme act of self-harm to try and protest it but I think that there's it's not really about the the military as much as it is the American people and whether or not we're willing to continue to fund this <clears throat> as we've discussed there's been three attempts at at this defense spending bill to the tune of now $95 billion in which they're trying to fund and arm three nations in proxy wars. And my hope, if anything positive could come from this, is that people really, really consider what war is. Really deeply feel it. I don't know if it's like, if it's a callousness because we've just been at war. Decades and, and people have completely blocked it out of their minds. But if anything, I, I hope that's what comes from this video is that, you know, the, the, the toll on human beings, on humanity itself, the, the suffering that people endure during war. I think that to me is a huge, a huge part of why I'm a libertarian and a non-interventionist in the first place is that these wars are not for the benefit of the people almost ever. They are for power and control, resource, uh, allocation or, or dominance. Geo geopolitical uh, strategi- strategy strategy I'm so shook up by this video. I can't even talk. Um, it's not really about us, you know, it's not about our freedom. It's not about our democracy. It's about people who don't care about us, who will never know our names, sending us to the battlefields of foreign lands predicated off of lies to commit atrocities in the name of something good, like freedom, like liberty. It's very upsetting. It's very upsetting that that's something that I love so deeply, human freedom, liberty that it it would be used in such a fashion. It's insulting on a very deep level. It makes me furious that my country, America, the one founded on non-intervention. I was founding father 101 shit. We don't do this. Well, now we do it more than any other country on the planet. And it's not close. You know that China has one foreign military base and they have the second most of any nation in the world, they have one. The United States has over 750, 750 foreign military bases. Some of which are in nations that aren't even permitting it, aren't requesting it, aren't asking for it, aren't allowing it, hate it. It's empire, ladies and gentlemen, it's empire. I don't know how much clearer it could be if you have 750 foreign military bases. And it needs to end. I've already detailed in prior episodes, the financial reasons that it needs to end. And I, I harp on that more for the conservative audience, because I know that's what they care about most. They, they tend to be more focused on the financial impacts of war than they are on the loss of life because. Their entire lives, they've been propagandized to believe that the, the avoidance of war is cowardice. To be unwilling to fight for your nation is tantamount to being a traitor. I think in many ways, the unwillingness to fight in immoral wars is as patriotic a thing as you can do. Just as Muhammad Ali sacrificed his boxing career and spent years of his prime in prison to avoid the Vietnam War. I think that there is nothing more powerful than that. Now, obviously I would not advocate on behalf of taking it to the extent that this young man did, but I think that more and more people are waking up to the fact that these wars are not to our benefit. And in fact, they endanger us severely. The, The financial impact is going to be catastrophic. The fact that we are getting away from any semblance of fiscal sanity, The fact that we are using the, by the way, the Biden administration launched an additional 500 new sanctions against Russia and Russian oligarchs and other nations in the territories that have assisted them in circumventing the original, or the multitude of of packages that they've passed in terms of the sanction regime. They've now rolled out another 500. And this is all, regardless, just completely dismissing the fact that this is, continuing to bolster and strengthen and enlarge the BRICS alliance the the na- the group of nations that are attempting to flee from the US dollar this is a very very dangerous trajectory to be on because if those dollars that are all, trillions of US dollars that are sitting overseas come flooding home domestically it will create hyperinflation it will and that's not outside the realm of possibility in the not too distant future, particularly if the BRICS alliance manages to sustain itself and strengthen itself while in this proxy war with the West. And, you know, Russia obviously being the apex of that. But on top of that, the, the real risk that everyone ought to be concerned with is the potential for a world war. And Putin uh, announced in the first few months of their invasion of Ukraine, that any attempts to, and he has spent saying it for well over a decade now, that any attempts or any finalization of adding Ukraine into NATO would instantly trigger Article 5, and therefore that would amount to a world war. It would be NATO versus Russia, and whoever would ally themselves with Russia, Iran is likely potentially China, though I don't know. Um, and his his warning to us, and I believe him on this as much as I'd like not to, is that it would, because they realized that they could not win a conventional war against NATO, it would necessitate nuclear war. Now, I don't think anything necessitates nuclear war, because we all lose in that scenario. So I would really rather he not have said it or have felt that way, but I think it's very important that you take your foes at their word when there is rationale behind it, when there is some semblance of logical justification. His perception, his perspective, is that Crimea in particular is existential to Russia. Now, I don't know if it's exclusively because it's their only year-round warm water naval port, or if there's more to it. I don't know if it goes back into historical experiences with invasion that came through the territory of Ukraine. But regardless, that is the perspective of not just Putin, but the vast majority of the Russian people, which is the willi- the reason that they're willing to fight this war in the first place. And if their perspective is as such that they can't win a conventional war against NATO, but they also cannot per- permit themselves to lose crimea well then the only answer as far as i'm concerned is to back the fuck off there is no there is no reason that the american government or the american people can dictate which government will control some small landmass 6000 plus miles away it is not our purview it is not our prerogative and it is ultimately truly existential that we get this answer correct, that we actually listen and understand and process what's going on. There is a a flippancy with which we've discussed and approached this conflict for years now, and it's been going on for about a dozen, but or ten. But it's it's very important that we get it right at this junction. And the reason that I'm I'm harping on it so strongly is that. There is, and I'm, I'm kind of tying in Israel-Palestine with Russia-Ukraine, and to a lesser extent, the potential for war between Taiwan and, and China. I'm tying them all together because of that aid bill, because of that $95 billion. We have already funded it to the tune of $150 billion or so, um, arguably more, and, and it looks like this is their, their last attempt three three tries all have failed. The Biden administration continues to tweet out multiple times per day, "We must pass this bill. We must pass this bill." They know that they can't they cannot fund this without congressional authorization, and if the congressional members realize that it is a political death sentence if they do pass this bill, there is a chance, a slight chance that the military industrial complex can be shunned for once. It it happens very rarely in my lifetime. It has basically never happened. It happened briefly with the attempt to invade Syria. And it looks like we have an opportunity again. So more than anything, that's what I'm encouraging people to do or to take away from this entire 25 minute, you know, rant is that this is a very rare opportunity to hand the mic an L, hand the military industrial complex an L and prevent the potential for World War III, the potential for a nuclear war. I am not prepared to die to decide which government controls Ukraine. Unless you are. I don't want to hear anybody tweeting, oh, we're going to have to send people, oh, we're going to have to reinstitute a to draft. No, man. No. You go. You don't. You don't say we. There is no we here. You go. You think it's you think it's worth dying for? You risk your life. You don't send other people to go do it. I am not willing to risk my life or the entire world to ty- to try and decide who gets to rule over this fucking corrupt land. I pass. Disinterested. No, thank you. Stop being a chickenhawk. If you think it's existential, fucking get on a plane stop with the advocacy for escalation it's super dangerous and you come off like a fucking pussy and you know what you can call me a pussy if you want i'm fine with that i am not interested in fighting russians i am not interested in fighting the chinese or the Israelis, or the Palestinians, or the fucking Ukrainians. I'm not interested in fighting for any of these fucking corrupt... I'm not interested in fighting for this corrupt government, against any of those corrupt governments. I pass. I pass entirely. There are things in my life I would fight for. This ain't one of them. And if you think it is, I don't think you've done dug deep enough. You gotta, you gotta actually figure out what the fuck you're fighting for. And I think that most U.S. military members are really good people and heroic, courageous people. And they have been led astray by a political class that doesn't care about them, that doesn't tell them the truth and leads them into harm's way and, and ultimately psychological distress that lasts with them for the remainder of their lives once they finally have the epiphany that what they've cooperated with and participated in has been deeply, deeply immoral. And I'd like to see that stop. Now, there are certainly different perspectives from the one I just shared with you. Laura Loomer who I did Timcast IRL with a couple months ago. I've hung out with her a few times. We follow follow each other on Twitter. Uh, Very nice lady in person, but I cannot disagree with her more on this take if I tried. She says, The U.S. soldier who lit himself on fire in front of the embassy discredited all things honorable he may have once done with his service. Once you light yourself on fire and spew Hamas talking points, your uniform has... No value, and neither does your so called service. What a jihadist loving traitor. Really sick to see someone shout Free Palestine in a US military uniform. We have been totally infiltrated by jihadists and their sympathizers. It's so disturbing to me. We are being invaded, and we have people in our military who think it's okay to side with G- the jihadists who are likely going to attack our country ahead of 2024. People better wake up. I would agree, Laura. People better wake up. But it's not the people you're tweeting at, it's you. Heartbreaking. Absolutely amazing. First off, how is saying free Palestine uh, a Hamas talking point? I mean, it has now it has now transferred from, from from the river to the sea, which I can understand why you would have an issue with that. But just free Palestine, that that is a Hamas talking point. To want a a people on a landmass to be free? Come on. It's terrible. It's absolutely terrible. And to to refer to these people as jihadis, I mean. Had he put on a suicide vest and, and gone to the embassy, I could understand why you might call him a jihadi, but to commit an act of self-immolation and to extrapolate that to him being a, a jihadist is pretty wild. And I think that this divide, I think for many people, those that, that align themselves more readily with the Israeli cause, they really don't have a choice, but to perceive him and this incident in that way. It's, it's way too hard to actually listen to what he had to say and to think about it deeply at all, to actually put yourself in the shoes of someone who sees injustice in this war and imagines themselves having to go deploy and participate in it and opting to kill themselves instead of doing so. It's very challenging for anybody who's on the Israeli side to look at that and then think about it it's it's much easier to actually just say you know jihadist or you know communist infiltrator blah 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 it's a lot it's a lot easier to do that than it is to actually think about does he have any points is there any credence to this claim is this is this war that i'm so i'm so certain is just that an american soldier would actually take their own life to avoid participating in it no, I can't ask that. Can't ask myself that question. I, I have to. I have to believe that I'm on the side of righteousness. And I think that the answer, as is the case in most wars, is that there really isn't a righteous side. That the killing of innocents is never righteous, and therefore war is almost never righteous, because war almost necessarily entails loss of innocent civilians. And this is not, this. particularly in the Israel-Palestine case, it is impossible to be a clean or moral war because you're talking about a bombing campaign with a embedded terrorist group in Hamas that is in a city that is incredibly densely populated. It's impossible to fight that without massive civilian casualties which is part of the reason that Hamas did what they did is because they're trying to bolster support for their cause. And it's working. It's working all over the world. And I think that it's important that people actually consider what that means. Not to say that that what Hamas stands for or what they did is just or righteous, but rather their cause, the cause of the Palestinian people themselves, is one that is resonating with people. And you can... You can Attribute tribute to that Marxism and communism and in many instances, you'll be right. But there are millions of people all over the world that are looking at this war and the loss of c- civilian life and saying, this has got to stop. This is absolutely horrible. And they're right. They're right. So I hope, I hope that at minimum, regardless of how that war plays out, because I can't dictate. I'm not interested in sending troops to defend the Palestinians any more than I am interested in funding or sending troops or bombs or military equipment to the Israeli side. It's just incumbent upon us to make our voices heard that we want no part in it, that that is their issue to deal with. From what, whichever side you stand on, Israel, Palestine, okay, that's their issue. It is not an American issue. It is not in America's self-defense. It is not in America's interests. Neither is the Ukraine-Russia war. Neither is the China-China-Taiwan potential war. None of these are in America's national defense interests. You can argue that they're in our financial interests. That's a different argument. But it, I, I would, I could easily disabuse you of that notion if I wanted to. You know, continue to go on a five or ten minute longer rant. So I'll spare you that one. But. We got it. We have to. We have to call for a ceasefire. We have to call for de-escalation. It's urgent. Now, I think a few episodes ago, I made a fairly compelling argument that Alexei Navalny was likely either a CIA or an MI6-backed entity as opposition leader to Vladimir Putin in Russia. I, I got my. I got yet another strike on YouTube for for making those those arguments. Uh, they allege, without saying as much, that one of the videos I played was old. And I represented as new. I don't know if that's the case. I don't think I did that. I haven't gone back and rewatched or listened to it, but I think that I was very clear that any of the videos that I showed of Navalny had to be older because he is dead. So, anyways, uh, they also, uh, there's some chance that the black and white video that I showed you was, in fact, not Alexei Navalny. And if that's the case, then I retract it. And I apologize for misleading. I don't think that that bit of evidence is actually necessary to make the argument. Uh, there is additional information that has come to light over the past week, thanks to the New York Times, that demonstrates the CIA's hand in the Ukraine war. I think that if the CIA is this deeply embedded in Ukraine, it, you would be very naive to think that they aren't also deeply in bed with the opposition leader in Russia, right? I think that's fairly rational. So let's, let's read some of it. The Spy War. How the CIA secretly helps Ukraine fight Putin. For more than a decade, the United States has nurtured a secret intelligence partnership with Ukraine that is now critical for both countries encountering Russia. This came out just yesterday well i wanted to sh- I wanted to read from the New York Times article, but they have it paywalled, so i'm going to go with the zero hedge commentary on it. On Sunday, the New York Times published an explosive and very belated full admission that the U.S. intelligence has not only been instrumental in Ukraine wartime decision-making but has established and financed high-tech command and control spy centers and was doing so long prior to the February 24th Russian invasion of two years ago. Now, you guys already know this because I've been telling you about it for years, but uh, you know, much of the information I got was from the Gray Zone and other anti-war writers and investigators. But this is not news to you, but it's important for the normies because now the New York Times is reporting on it. So people hopefully will take it seriously and it'll stop calling me a conspiracy theorist. Continuing on. Among the biggest revelations is that the program was established a decade ago and spans three different American presidents. The Times says the CIA program to modernize Ukraine's intelligence services, has transformed the former Soviet state and its capabilities into, quote, Washington's most important intelligence partners against the Kremlin today, end quote. This has included the agency having secretly trained and equipped Ukrainian intelligence officers spanning back to just after the 2014 Maidan coup events, as well as constructing a network of 12 secret bases along the Russian border, work which began eight years ago. These intelligence bases from which Russian commanders' communications can be swept up and Russian spy satellites monitored are being used, launch, and track cross-border drone and missile attacks on Russian territory. This means that with the disclosure of the long-time closely guarded secret, the world just got a big step closer to WW3, given it means the CIA is largely responsible for the effectiveness of the recent spate of attacks which have included direct drone hits on key oil refineries and energy infrastructure. Quote, without them, the CIA and elite commandos it's trained, there would have been no way for us to resist the Russians or to beat them. According to Ivan Bakanov, former head of the SBU, which is Ukraine's domestic intelligence agency. A main source of the New York Times revelations, Disclosures, which might come as no surprise to those never willing to so easily swallow the mainstream official narrative events, is identified as a top intelligence commander named General Serhii Dvoretskyi. Clearly, Kiev and Washington now want, want the world to know of the deep intelligence relationship they tried to conceal for over the past decade. It is perhaps a kind of warning to Moscow at a moment Ukraine's forces are in retreat. The U.S. is fighting hand in glove with the Ukrainians, and yet the revelations contained in the New York Times report also confirm what President Putin has precisely accused Washington of all along. While the lengthy New York Times report is full of fresh revelations and confirmation of just how deeply the CIA has always been involved in Ukraine, below are seven of the biggest contained in the story. Description of Secret Spy Bunker The report contains a surprisingly detailed description of one of the secret underground command centers established by the CIA near the Russian border location undisclosed, of course. Not far away, a discreet passageway descends to a subterranean bunker where the teams of Ukrainian soldiers track Russian spy satellites and eavesdrop on conversations between Russian commanders. On one screen, a red line followed the route of an explosive drone threading through Russian air defense from a point in central Ukraine to a target in the Russian city of Rostov. The underground bunker built to replace the destroyed command center in the months after Russia's invasion is a secret nerve center of Ukraine's military. There is also one more secret. The base is almost fully financed and partly equipped by the CIA. Elite Commando Force. Within two years after the 2014 Westback coup in Ukraine, the CIA had set up a training program for elite Ukrainian operatives. Around 2016, when Lindsey Graham and John McCain and others, including Victoria Nuland, were there on the ground. Sorry, that was my commentary, not from the article. Around 2016, the CIA began training an elite Ukrainian commando force known as Unit 2245, which captured Russian drones and communications gear so that CIA technicians could reverse engineer them and crack Moscow's encryption systems. One officer in the unit was Kirilo Budunov, now the general leading Ukraine's military intelligence. And the CIA also helped train a new generation of Ukrainian spies who operated inside Russia, across Europe and in Cuba, and other places where the Russians have a large presence. Ukraine transformed into an intelligence gathering hub, The U.S. intelligence network in Ukraine, which is tantamount to NATO Intelligence Network 2, has in reality been more extensive than pretty much all prior media speculation has envisioned. Ukraine has long been a massive intelligence gathering hub for Washington and its partners. In more than 200 interviews, current and former officials in Ukraine, the United States, and Europe described a partnership that nearly foundered from mutual distrust before it steadily expanded. I think they mean floundered turning Ukraine into a intelligence gathering hub that intercepted more Russian communications than the CIA station in Kiev, Ukraine could ha- initially handle. Many of the officials spoke on condition of an anonymity to discuss intelligence in matters of sensitive diplomacy. Now these intelligence networks are more important than ever, as Russia is on the offensive and Ukraine is more dependent on sabotage and long-range missile strikes that require spies far behind enemy lines, and they are increasingly at risk. If Republicans in Congress end military funding to Kiev, the CIA may have to scale back. Exactly. Precisely. Which is what I hope happens. Huge New York Times admission that Putin was basically right. Below is a hugely ironic excerpt from the Times report. The section begins by noting that Putin has repeatedly blamed the US-NATO for expanding its military and intelligence infrastructure into Ukraine. Not only had this precisely been going on for the past decade, as is now being admitted, but was presented by the Kremlin as a key cause of the Russian invasion of February 24, 2022. Putin and his officials were adamant on the eve of the invasion that NATO was militarizing Ukraine. The Times appears to now fully admit that, yes, this was actually the case. Putin has long blamed Western intelligence agencies for manipulating Kiev and sowing anti-Russian sentiment in Ukraine. Toward the end of 21, according to a senior European official, Putin was weighing whether to launch his full-scale invasion when he met with the head of one of Russia's main spy services, who told him that the CIA together with Britain's MI6 were controlling Ukraine and turning it into a beachhead for operations against Moscow. Exactly, exactly as I've been saying for years now and provably so. U.S. officials were often reluctant to fully engage, fearing that Ukrainian officials could not be trusted and worrying about provoking the Kremlin. Yet a tight circle of Ukrainian intelligence officials assiduously courted the CIA and gradually made themselves vital to the Americans. In 2015, General General Kandratuk, then Ukraine's head of military intelligence, arrived at a meeting with the CIA's deputy station chief and without warning handed over a stack of top secret files. According to a new new account in the New York Times, on the night of the Maidan coup, this is from Aaron Maté on Twitter, on the night of the Maidan coup in Ukraine 10 years ago, February 24th, 2014, Ukraine's post-coup spy chief, Nalevachenko, arrived at his new headquarters and made his first call to the CIA station chief and the local head of MI6. 2014 coup in Crimea. The report indirectly references this very critical period which set Ukraine and Russia on their tragic collision course. With violence escalating, an unmarked U.S. government plane touched down at an airport in Kiev, carrying John Brennan, then the director of the CIA. He told Nalvachenko that the CIA was interested in developing a relationship, but only at a pace the agency was comfortable with, according to U.S. and Ukrainian officials. To the CIA, the unknown question was how long Nalvachenko and the pro-Western government would be around. The CIA had been burned before in Ukraine. The result was a delicate balancing act the CIA was supposed to strengthen Ukraine's intelligence agencies without provoking the Russians. The red, line, the red lines were never precisely clear, which created a persistent tension in the partnership. Operation Goldfish. Money and advanced tech given to the, by the CIA has allowed the Ukrainians to establish eavesdropping operations far beyond what they would otherwise be capable of. All the while, elite commando teams were being trained by the CIA in European cities as part of a program called Operation Goldfish. The New York Times report, reporting includes a bit of boast of the Ukrainians now being able to hack into Russian military networks. In the bunker, Dvoretskya pointed to communications uh, equipment and large computer servers, some of which were financed by the CIA. He said his team were using the, the base to hack into the Russian military secure communication networks. This is the thing that breaks into satellites and decodes secret conversations, Dvoraketskij told a Times journalist on a tour, adding that they were hacking into spy satellites from China and Belarus, Belarus too. The CIA began sending equipment in 2016 after the pivotal meeting at Scattergood, Dovoretskia said, providing encrypted radios and devices for intercepting secret enemy communications. A stunning emission, tiptoeing around Trump. Among the most interesting and curious moments of the New York Times report is a description of the CIA's program expanse under the Trump administration. The report suggests that the true scope may have even been hidden from Trump. The Russian hawks in his administration quietly did the dirty work, we are told. The election of Trump in November 2016 put the Ukrainians and their CIA partners on edge. Trump praised Putin and dismissed Russia's role in election interference. He was suspicious of Ukraine and later tried to pressure its president Zelensky to investigate his Democratic rival Biden, resulting in Trump's first impeachment. See, when you actually look into this and you think about it and you go like, oh, yeah, that's why Trump was impeached over that, obviously, right? Could it be any more clear? Yeah, you you start to dig into their proxy. They're going to obviously try and get you out of power, especially if you're not on board, which he wasn't. The report then emphasizes... But whatever Trump said and did, his administration often went in the other direction. This is because Trump had put Russia hawks in key positions, including Mike Pompeo as CIA director and John Bolton as national security advisor. And further, they visited Kiev to underline their full support for the secret partnership, which expanded to include more specialized training programs in the building of additional secret bases. Given the attempt to place Trump in a negative light, he had to be tiptoed around. It will be interesting to see how he and his campaign respond to the report, but more consequential will be the reaction of Putin and the Kremlin in the coming days. Indeed, it'll be interesting to see how they respond. But let's be honest, I don't think they're going to have anything new to say because this is what Putin has been saying for years. And now the New York Times is confirming it. And i've been telling you about it for years showing you videos and all sorts of things that demonstrate that the american military industrial complex including the deep state or the state department including the cia including mi6 and our other intelligence agency partners i wouldn't be surprised if the Mossad are involved too i don't know that for a fact but i do know for a fact that our intelligence agencies have been and continue to function surreptitiously under the the cloak of darkness in Ukraine. And I'll just ask you if it were the opposite, if there were Kremlin agents, I know it's not really a thing, but if there was Kremlin agents that were in Mexico and there had been a revolution there and it had actually been funded and sponsored and instigated by these Russian agents. And then there was some sort of separatist movement, and we end up having a, having uh, people that speak English get bombed. I, this metaphor sucks because there's so many <laughs> there's so many variables that you have to get into. Just ask yourself: Would you be fucking cool if Russia or China or any foreign country was trying to overthrow the democratically elected leadership of Mexico to put in someone who was more antagonistic towards America? No, you wouldn't. You'd be like, "This is fucking terrible. Stop." This is crazy. That's what happened. That's what happened in Ukraine, okay? So anytime someone says Putin is the aggressor, unprovoked invasion, look, what he did in terms of invasion, yeah, it's aggression, no doubt. You killed hundreds of thousands of people. It's fucking, yeah, clearly it's aggression. But I think that there's a fair argument to be had that they have also been aggressed upon. Now, has his reaction been, you know, comparable? I think it's, magnitudes more severe than what the Americans were doing there, but regardless, it's still not unprovoked. You can't say it's unprovoked. Shout out to Scott Horton, shout out to Libertarian Institute. They're the ones that have obviously given me this information years before the general public had it. So. Uh, I hope that it has been conveyed in a way that has been compelling to you and and set you off on your own mission to discover the truth. As I've said many times, I don't want you to take me at my word for all of this. Do your own research. But I have. I've done a lot of research on this. I am 100% convinced that this was the intention of the U.S. State Department and our intelligence agencies. Now, whether or not they wanted it to become a hot war, I'm not sure. I don't know if they were intending to use it as a staging ground to then run uh, color revolution operations within within Russia. It's a distinct possibility. I don't know if they were going to use Ukraine as a staging ground for a potential invasion. I kind of doubt it, given that they have an enormous nuclear arsenal. But I think that the odds are that they were trying to put a very unfriendly government in Ukraine, which they successfully did, and they were trying to essentially break Putin off from his warm water naval port in Crimea and it failed it backfired hugely as Trump might say so the answer is to get the fuck out of there the answer is to stop funding and arming it the answer is to use whatever leverage we may have and we probably don't have much given how fucking terrible we've behaved in this entire conflict but if we're going to do anything Any leverage that we have remaining ought to be used to bring Putin and Zelensky and whoever the fucking real decision makers are to the table to try and get a ceasefire. That's the same answer when it comes to Israel and Palestine. It is not to fund and arm one side or the other. It is to negotiate peace between both sides and to get the fuck out of there and to bring our troops home and to stop instigating crazy, insane wars all over the fucking world it's been decades of this. It has not worked out for the American people, financially or otherwise. We have to stop. And for those that think it's all bullshit, let's uh, let's do a little highlight reel from Kaneko the Great when it comes to John Brennan, former CIA director, and his involvement. Various people have said that John Brennan, the head of the CIA, traveled possibly under
1: another name to Kiev, and I just wanted to know. Did he travel there does it have anything to do with this action just to no it, ha- it
2: happened uh, only in in the uh, some co- commands from Moscow I don't know so thank you uh, were you in Kiev recently I was in Kiev a couple of weeks ago yes mm-hmm. could you tell us uh, what your mission was uh, I was out there to uh, interact with uh, our Ukrainian partners and friends Ukraine's acting president has announced the start of an anti-terrorist operation in the east of the country <laughs>
0: Ukraine is conducting an anti-terrorist action. What terrorists who are you calling terrorists? These are the people. Today was the day Kiev sent in troops to try to wrest back control of the East. And that with those people who are standing in the street, what do they speak about? These people want two state languages. People want federalization. Cannons. It's madness. Today there is a call to send the army there
2: today
1: to cleanse the terrorists today their own citizens are called terrorists for what
0: i really believe that we have the opportunity to save the country but for this there is a need to stop the escalation of violence stop military operations to enter into negotiations We are soldiers, we are
2: following orders. And whose orders are you following? What are you here? Guys, we are starting the process
0: Is of This will not have
1: Smokes movement though. By Russian speakers in Eastern Ukraine who are not happy with the current situation. We do have difference in my country. That's true. Every country has differences. But we are ready to bridge all these differences. Easter Sunday was anything but peaceful in this corner of Eastern Ukraine. At least two people were killed in a gunfight near Slavyansk at the snakeshift checkpoint manned by pro-Russian separatists. They say they were attacked by a convoy of ultra-nationalists called the right sector, whose power base is in the West.
0: It's not clear what happened here, but this is exactly the kind of incident that could really blow this situation
1: up into a civil war. US officials say the vice presidents in Kiev to boost economic and
0: political assistance to authorities there. Speaking to its new pro-Western leaders, U.S. Vice President Joe Biden pledged to help Ukraine through the crisis, including
1: an aid package of $50 million.
2: We can help in stabilizing and strengthening Ukraine's economy by helping you withstand the unfair economic pressure being thrust upon you. We stand ready to do that and I say the American people
1: stand ready. <laughs>
0: Ukrainian people deserve to uh, determine their future, uh, again, free from outside interference. And that's what the United States is trying to do. And uh, to the extent that uh, we here at CIA can work with our partners in Ukraine and other areas to, to give them the, uh, the information, the, the capabilities that they need in order to
1: bring stability and security back to that country, we will do that.
0: So from the horse's mouth, ladies and gentlemen, do you believe me yet? Do I need to convince you further? The CIA, John Brennan was on the ground. Joe Biden was on the ground. They give them aid financially. Then they've also now given them hundreds of billions of dollars of weaponry because of the conflict that they created in the first place. Could they have come to blows regardless? Maybe. I'd say probably not though. Probably not. It hasn't exactly been a a pleasurable endeavor for the Russian people and I'm sure it has put tremendous pressure on Vladimir Putin as well. So it is my opinion, and it is a firm one, that this war would not have happened if not for our meddling. And by our, I don't mean yours or mine, I mean the American government, which is almost always the fucking case. And I am exhausted by it. It is infuriating that now we risk not just World War III, but a nuclear Holocaust because we had to have our fucking dirty little fingers all in the Ukrainian pot because we've decided for no fucking reason at all that we can't cooperate with Vladimir Putin or Russia. As if the Cold War persists, as if it never ended, as if we are still existing in 1990. It's fucking insane. It has to stop. The propaganda, to the contrary, is exactly that. What I'm showing you is their own words. John Brennan is not shy about it. Neither is Lindsey Graham, neither was John McCain, rest in piss. There has been litany of video-on-video examples of what I'm talking about. I'm not making it up. It's absolutely true. You can come to your own conclusion to what extent our meddling is responsible for this war in the first place, but it's... Irrefutable that it is, in part, provoked by the American government and our empire. So if you hate Putin, that's fine. Don't really care. But you have to realize that this conflict is existential to them from their own perspective. And as such, it is existential to us that we get the fuck out of there. But here's what. White House, White House National Security Advisor, Jake Sullivan has to say.
1: by White House National Security Advisor, Jake Sullivan. Mr. Sullivan, thanks for joining us this morning. I saw growing uncertainty in Ukraine. How would you characterize where we are two years into this? Well, first, Martha, let's take a step back. Yesterday, is, as you noted, was the two year anniversary of Russia's brutal imperial war of conquest against Ukraine. Most people bet that Ukraine would fall within a week or two, that Kyiv would be occupied, the capital of Ukraine, Kyiv, would be occupied by Russian forces. Two years later, Kyiv stands, Ukraine stands. It stands as a proud, free democracy. But it is still continuing to fight against a vicious Russian onslaught in the East. And for that, it needs weapons, it needs ammunition, and it needs resources from countries like the United States. And that's why President Biden has been pushing so hard Uh, to get Ukraine the resources it needs to be able to fend off the Russians and take back the territory that Russia occupies. This is not about a shortage of will, Martha. This is about a shortage of bullets. And if we can fill that shortage of bullets, Ukraine will stand up brave and courageous uh, and take the fight to the Russians.
0: What a fucking ghoul. What an absolute creepy motherfucker. Hundreds of thousands of dead Ukrainian men. It's not. A, it's not a shortage of will. It's a shortage of bullets. No motherfucker. It's a shortage of men, of fighting age troops. They don't have them. The average. The average age of Ukrainian soldier at this junction is over forty years old. They have burned through all of their young men, or the vast majority. They are now enlisting those that are crippled, the basically the elderly, like me. The elderly. That's that's how dire this is and they are not relenting one iota. Our national security advisor, which which nation are you securing, Jake? It certainly isn't America. And for the record, it's also not Ukraine. You are jeopardizing them existentially. These people are absolutely depraved. And just to go back to prove once again where this all began, and why why I, I'm able to connect all of these dots because we have been propagandized so aggressively and disproven for years now when it comes to the Russian collusion hoax. Here's a quick breakdown of a highlight reel of how they used to do so
2: very important Monday morning. The U.S. has gathered intelligence that Russian intelligence officers have offered to pay bounties to Taliban fighters who kill Americans, who kill Americans. Three people briefed on the matter, told NBC News. The New York Times first broke the story on Friday, aspects of which have been matched and independently reported by NBC News, the AP, the Washington Post, CNN, the Wall Street Journal, and ABC News. With the White House engulfed in a new Russia scandal, this one involving the president's flagrant disregard for intelligence reporting regarding bounties on U.S. soldiers' heads.
1: We effectively greenlit their assassination campaign against American soldiers.
2: I think about this as a dad, a father, who sent his son to serve in harm's way for a year in, in the Middle East and in, in Iraq and I'm disgusted. Bounties on the heads of American soldiers.
1: And you know what a bounty is?
2: Bounties on the heads of American soldiers. is unwilling to take on Putin when he's actually paying bounties to kill American soldiers in Afghanistan.
1: Remember the Russian bounties we heard about last year? The intelligence had suggested that Russia paid the Taliban to kill U.S. troops in Afghanistan. Well, it turns out that might not be true. The Biden administration now saying that intel isn't conclusive. Allison, the idea that the Russians paid bounties on the heads of American soldiers in Afghanistan is falling apart a little bit. What we also reported back in September was that the military was unable to corroborate this intelligence, that they had looked hard but found really no evidence that this program existed.
2: Three people briefed on the matter, told NBC News. The New York Times first broke the story on Friday, aspects of which have been matched and independently reported by NBC News, the AP, the Washington Post, CNN, the Wall Street Journal, what and ABC News. What we also reported
1: back in September was that the military was unable to corroborate this intelligence, that they had looked hard but found really no evidence that this program existed.
0: So yeah, they're fucking liars. Shout out to at Mays M-O-O-R-E, on Twitter or X for that edit. And we're going to wrap this one up because I got to go do the show with Luke with one more more edit because it's just too good not to. Goodness gracious, these people are fucking pathological liars.
2: Voters in America should decide who our president
1: is, not Vladimir Putin. The Russians offered help. The campaign accepted help. The Russians gave help. And the president made full use of that help and that is pretty damning. I believe he knows he's an illegitimate president.
2: The bottom line of this dossier, the bottom line allegation, the point the of it, the point of this is they colluded, they helped, they were in on it. What does Vladimir Putin have on President Trump? And they've also decided who they want to see become president of the United States too, and it's not me. Secondly, I found out that Vladimir Putin doesn't want me to be president. We need to make it very clear, whether it's Russia, China, Iran, or anybody else. This election, that Russia has been involved, China has been involved to some degree, and now we learn that that uh, that uh, Iran is involved. As seventeen of our intelligence agencies have confirmed, seventeen intelligence agencies said fifty national security officials who served in Republican information in in administration have said that Donald is unfit to be the commander in chief. Cool. There are fifty former national intelligence folks who said that what this he's accusing me of. Is a russian plan you mean the laptop is now no. another russia 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 hoax and you that's exactly, what, is this that's where exactly what this exactly what this is called. where he's
1: going well we know that this whole uh, smear on joe biden uh, comes from the kremlin
2: i don't understand why this president is unwilling to take on putin when he's actually paying bounties to kill american soldiers in afghanistan when russia's puts bounties on the heads of our soldiers in Afghanistan. That Russia has bounties on the heads. On the heads of American soldiers. There are several factors that, uh, that um, con- contributed to the lo- low to moderate confidence in the judgment, including the difficulty of...
0: Uh, of um... So yeah, they're pathological liars. Uh, what a fucking surprise, huh? I'm sure none of you guys realize that. Look, it's on fucking record, okay? They have told you lie after lie when it comes to Iran, when it comes to Russia, when it comes to many other nations. They fucking lied through their teeth. Iraq, Afghanistan, the entire war on terror. These people are pathological liars. So if you're going to buy the narrative about the latest war, just let me let you know that I think you're retarded. I think you're an imbecile. You can't extrapolate life lessons from the past and project them into the future. You're an idiot an imbecile let me make it very clear you should check yourself into an insane asylum these people are lying through their fucking teeth as they have been doing your entire fucking life all of it they're pathological so stop taking them at their word and do your own goddamn research to figure out if what i'm saying to you is true You don't have to take my word for it, but you certainly ought to listen to me before you listen to any of these fucking people because I'm actually telling you the truth as best as I can. They are intentionally, intentionally misinforming you. Well, people like me receive strikes on YouTube for trying to tell the truth, these fucks go on and they, don't get it twisted, ABC, NBC, all these motherfuckers, they put all of those stories onto YouTube as well. Did they receive any strikes for any of them? All disproven, all actual, factual misinformation. The answer is no. They don't strike the corporate media when they propagandize you because that's their job. They're not not misinforming you. They're doing their job, don't you understand? I, on the other hand, if I get one video from Twitter that ends up being uh, contextually off, Even if I correct it on the very next episode, which they would never fucking do, but if I do that, I don't get my strike removed. No, I'm not able to put anything out for 30 days. Because they don't want competition to the narrative and deception that they are propagating. It's quite simple. And I can extrapolate this into the entire Twitter leaks and everything else, but I gotta go do my show with Luke. It's called The Best Political Show. I really appreciate you guys i appreciate the continued support a ton of you signed up to subscribe on both libertylockdown.locals.com as well as at Liberty Lockpot on x i did follow everybody back that subscribed on x i really do appreciate it uh, apparently my rant uh was one for the ages <laughs> i was very upset that day uh when you get you know a third of your audience ripped out from under you it does not feel good Uh, But I guess it's to your benefit because it totally unshackled me and allowed me to rip into them full force, which I can't do on YouTube. Uh, (laughs) So anyways, share the show, subscribe, tell everybody you know if they want to hear the truth, if they want to actually listen to someone who's attempting to tell the truth. I may not get everything right, but I will correct the record anytime I don't. I promise you that. From the bottom of my heart, thank you as always for the support. It really, it bolstered... uh, my spirits tremendously because getting knocked down from youtube after i was finally getting traction over there and to have it ripped up from under me the fact that so many of you reached out and said keep going and and signed up to subscribe on x and and elsewhere uh you know means the world i'll see you guys soon peace